0: Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. How many of you uh, decorating your house as a part of the Christmas plan? Many hands go up. There's some decorations that you put up. And, and one of the decorations that you put up for Christmas may be some kind of a nativity set. Do you have a nativity set that you put out at Christmas time. Um, certainly the case in our house. As a matter of fact, uh, we have a few sets, nativity sets, that we like to put out. Um, but what's interesting is when we think about our nativity set, um, we set it up. And really, the, the, the pieces inside these sets, they all look alike, don't they? I mean, they're, they're all crafted out of the same substance. They all look like the same. We, we store them in the same box, and so they kind of blend together, especially at a distance. You might be at the back, just looking up on the screen, but you see. But but who is in your nativity? Well, you may have a shepherd um, who's in your nativity. Um, certainly, you probably have have Mary and Jesus. It's not really a nativity set without him. Um, you have Joseph, maybe an animal or two, and then you probably also have these these three wise men or magi. Now, what's interesting about this is these this collection of characters they they all you know look like they're the same, and, and from a distance they're all cut out of the same wood. Uh, they're all crafted in similar way, maybe slightly different adornment, but they look fairly similar. Now, I want to just make an observation before we come back to this, and I wanted to say this. Some of you think the same thing about the church. You think the same thing about the church, whether it's this church or other churches you've been a part of in the past. You think that the church is a collection of people that all come out of the same box. They all drive the same car, they all make the same money, they all watch the same movies. They all come from the same nations or have the same religious backgrounds. The church is made up of people who are all exactly alike. Now, some of you might be here and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Others of you aren't making any movement, but you've thought that, haven't you? You've thought that the church is made up of people who are mostly alike, people who come mostly out of the same box. And so when we see our nativity as it unfolds, We think it matches our picture of who it's appropriate to worship Jesus because they're people who are all the same. And make no mistake, all of humanity has some similarities. All of us are sinners. All of us fall short of the glory of God. But when we take a closer look at the nativity, what we find, friends, is that this is not a homogenous group. This is a group of very diverse people. There were those who were from the nation of Israel, but there were those who were from far away. There were those who grew up practicing the Jewish religion, but there were those who grew up not practicing the Jewish religion who were present here. There were those who were educated, those who were uneducated. This is a diverse group of people, and my hope is today that as we look at the Nativity story, specifically as we look at Matthew 2, 1 through 12, and the story of the Magi, what we're going to see is we're going to see that God invites a diverse group of people from many different boxes to come to him and worship and we have the privilege of looking at that today. So we're going to look at that from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So if you've got a Bible, take it out and open to Matthew 2. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat back in front of you, or you could probably find an app on your phone. Don't look for it now, maybe later. Um, but uh, Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12, we're going to look at these verses today that will guide us to a better understanding of all that God is calling To worship Him this year. Matthew 2, beginning in verse 1, says this, says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw, saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Now when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Well, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now in these 12 verses, we're going to see a couple of things. Um, Really, we're going to walk through the story and then one single point that we need to walk away with. So what is the story? Really, this is his story. It's the story of the coming of the king, the story of the birth of Christ. What do we learn from this? Well, the first thing that we see is that Matthew begins saying, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, I, I think this is a fascinating thing because it's, it's the greatest like yada, yada, yada moment ever. Matthew goes from the conception to after Jesus was born, just like that. Nowhere in the gospel of Matthew do we see the story of the shepherds or the angels in the sky. Uh, the events that we, we we gather around and we we celebrate at Christmas time, it, it's it's not mentioned there, and I think it, it brings an important point to light for us, and that is that God has given us four gospels, four accounts of Jesus's life—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—but none of them are comprehensive. None of them are. They were four uh, collections of true historical events related to the person of Christ, but the, the events that were told and collected were different based on the the different purposes that God had for each gospel. And so God wanted us to know about the shepherds. He told us that through Luke. But it's not imperative for us to know about the shepherds in order to understand who Jesus was. Um, In in Matthew's story, Matthew highlights a different aspect of that story as he looks at uh, the fact that these magi come and visit him. So one of the things we see is that we have these four accounts, but none of them are comprehensive, though all telling true facts that God wants us to know. So it was in the time that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, it says, in the days of Herod the king. Now, this is a time marker. It lets us know what was happening uh, in in history at this time. It was the time when Herod was the king. Now, if you're familiar with uh, Jewish history, uh, you know who Herod the king is. He was uh, someone who had taken control of the land of Israel through an alliance with Rome. Through a political connection, not through a, a birthright line, but through a political connection with Rome, Herod had been named the king of the Jews in the days leading up to the birth of Christ. Herod had made quite a name for himself. His nickname, Herod the Great, is because he did so many things. As a matter of fact, he was an incredible administrator and builder As he built things all over Israel, if you were to travel to Israel today and you were to take a tour of the land, in many ways you would take a tour of things that Herod built. In the southeast of the country, you have the fortress of Masada that he built, still there to this day. If you go up to the coastline in the west, you'd see Caesarea Maritima, the the, the massive seaport that Herod built there. If you go down to Jerusalem, you would see the, the upgrades that he made to the temple area or to his palace of Herodian just outside the city walls. Herod was somebody who did a number of things to make his name great. But here's the thing. Herod's claim to the Jewish throne was not legitimate. And he himself was a very brutal man, killing even his own family members if he felt that they were any threat to his power. Um, Herod was not even a Jew by uh, ancestry. He was a descendant of Esau, not of, not of Jacob. Herod had this faulty claim to the throne, and yet it was Herod who was called the king of the Jews the night that Jesus was born. Now, here's another little interesting tidbit in history. Who was the, the person who was over the Roman Empire at that time? We know this from the Luke passage I read earlier. Who was it? Caesar Augustus, right? You know what Caesar Augustus' nickname was that he gave himself? the Son of God, because he, his adopted father had claimed to be God posthumously. They had said that that Caesar was God, and so Caesar Augustus said, I must be the Son of God. So at the point in time when Jesus was born, there was a, a king of the Jews in Israel who had no legitimate claim to the throne, and there was someone who sat as an empire over the known world at that time who was called the Son of God, who was indeed not the Son of God, but yet here in Bethlehem is born the one who would be the legitimate king of the Jews and would be the legitimate Son of God. It is into this place in history that Jesus is born, that Jesus comes. Well, as Jesus is born in this this time in history, uh, some people come and visit him. It says... Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, we were to look at the, this, the word that is used there describing these these folks, these wise men, we would see that that word is the word magi. The, these were the, the magi who came and visited. Now, how many of them were there? Don't say three. It's not a trick question. I'm going to prep you. We, we We think there maybe were three. That's been Mythology has arisen around this because there were three gifts that were given, but there's no distinct number of Magi are mentioned here, just that the Magi from the East came and visited. Well, who were these Magi? Again, there's a lot of mythology that is built up over time about who the Magi were. Uh, in the Middle Ages, they gave them names and they said they found their skulls and all these kinds of things. That, the mythology that is built around these guys is amazing. The reality is we don't know much about them, but we do know in general that the Magi were people who practiced some kind of magic. That's the same root where we get this. They were people who looked at the stars and used astrology to tell people things about their lives. And, and those things were mostly not true, but they could be used and persuaded. And so in, the, in Palestine specifically at the time that Jesus was born in that first century, uh, the Magi were not people that had a very good reputation, because they could be bought off by rich people to tell them things that they wanted to hear. Um, They were seen as somewhat swindlers. But these weren't magi from Palestine. These were magi, it says, from the east. Well, where were they from? Well, we don't know that either, but some bit of history and other biblical scholarship would let us know that maybe they were from Persia or Babylon, maybe from the areas of modern-day Iran and Iraq. They were people from that area. That meant that these were Gentile people, not Jewish people. And we know that, at least under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, that the Magi were a group of people that helped interpret dreams. And they were unable to interpret dreams that Nebuchadnezzar had, but there was one guy who was able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. Do you remember who that was? It was Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, Daniel is placed as the head over the Magi. And so, when you put all of this together, uh, you you might begin to get a picture as to why there were Magi in the east, in the lands of Iraq and Iran, Babylon and Persia, who might have been thinking about the birth of a one-day king of the Jews who would be the savior of the world, because it's possible. We don't know this, but it's possible that Daniel, who had certainly an interest in prophecy, would have passed on to the Magi some 600 years before the first century, would have passed on to the Magi a prophecy like Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, that talks about a star rising indicating the arrival of the Messiah. And it's possible for 600 years the Magi had record. And so when a new star appears in the sky, the Magi connect it with Israel, and they connect it with the God of Daniel, and they connect it with the coming of the Savior. And so they pack up and they go. It says that they show up in Jerusalem The star led them that far, and it says that they were saying in verse 2. It means they they were going around saying again and again. They were were showing up. Again, we don't know how many of them there were, but when they show up in the city, they're saying, hey, have you seen that star? Where's the king of the Jews to be born? They go to the next house, knock, knock, knock. There's a star. The king of the Jews, where is he supposed to be born? And they're going place to place. Well, as they're going around and asking this question, it's stirring up quite a response in the city. And here's why. It's stirring up a response because the people in that city knew this. Herod did not like anyone who questioned his authority. And so can you imagine what they're thinking is going to happen if these out-of-towners, these non-Jewish people, these Gentile magi show up and start talking about the birth of another king? Herod could lose his mind and do something really crazy. And so we see in verse 3 that the entire city was concerned and was troubled about this. Well, verse 4, Herod gets together all of his religious leaders and he says, hey, they're talking about the birth of the king of the Jews. Where is that king supposed to be born? Well, what's fascinating is all these religious leaders, they correctly answer that question. Their Bible trivia was spot on. They said, it's in Micah 5 too, Herod. And they quote it for him. In verse 6, they said it's in, it's in Bethlehem and from the land of Judah, just, just five miles down the road. Now, think about this. You can imagine if we were sitting at Buffalo Wild Wings uh, just down there at, on, on 12th Street having lunch, and somebody comes in and says, where is this? And, and we were to say, oh, yeah, the Jesus, the Savior of the world, is just five miles down the road. He's at Kendall's, okay, just that far. Can you imagine making that connection? and then going back to your crossword? Can you imagine making that connection and then just going back to watching the football game? And yet that's what they did. They make this connection that the the savior of the world was five miles away, a star had risen, they had seen it, they had traveled hundreds of miles and yet what do they do? They do nothing. So Herod asked the wise men to be his emissaries. He says, hey, I want you guys to go down and I want you to find him, and then I want you to come back and let me know so that I can go and I can worship him. Now, that was not a real request that, that Herod made. He wasn't going there to worship him. He, we find out, we'll look at this next week. He went there to kill Jesus, but he sent the wise men instead. And so they go down, and the star appears, and it leads them right to the house. Now, this is no ordinary star, friends. Um, you know, a star in the sky to lead you to one specific Small, humble dwelling <coughs> in one city, that's not normal. This is a supernatural event. It may have been, you know, some commentators, there's, there's all kinds of, of wondering about what got them as far as Jerusalem, but I'm telling you, if it got them from Jerusalem to one little dwelling in Bethlehem, that was something extremely special. It was a supernatural act, we, almost like the Shekinah glory of God leading Israel through the wilderness. God leads the Magi, directly to the house where Jesus was, and they, they fall down and they, they worship him. It says that they opened up their treasures and they, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. What, what's the deal with these gifts? Why these three gifts? Well, again, we, we don't fully know. The passage doesn't explain it. Um, we can speculate on a few things. The, the idea of these three gifts being symbolic has been out there for a long time, Gold, symbolic of royalty. Frankincense um, would have been something that would have been used in worship, maybe pointing to deity. Uh, myrrh, something that was used uh, to prepare somebody for burial, pointing to humanity. So it's possible that these three gifts are talking about the King of Kings, the Son of God, the Son of Man who came to make an offering for our lives. It's possible that. But, friends, I don't know that there's nothing in the passage that would let us know that the Magi had any idea what they were giving him except for they were giving him expensive gifts. And even Mary and Joseph, as they received them, uh, there's no indication that they would have received them and understood fully what what they were given except expensive gifts. And many have speculated that these gifts were sold and that's what funded their flight to Egypt just a few verses later. But here's the thing, as these foreigners, these people from outside the box, come and lay their offering before Christ, it it does remind us of Old Testament prophecy like Psalm 72, 10, and 11 that talk about the Messiah one day having a global impact and, and nobles from around the world bowing before him. It says, may the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute and may the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, let all the nations serve him. A number of other passages in the Old Testament look like this, but at his, at his very birth, people from around the world, from inside and outside the box, are gathering around him to worship him. That much is clear. And then, super, in a supernatural way, God lets the Magi know to not go back to Herod and tell him where he is. Jesus will flee to safety next week. We'll see that as we look at that together. So one of the things we see is when we look at his story, we see the Magi coming to visit Christ. Now, I want to talk about an application of this for us as as we spend the last few of our minutes together. And that application is this. It's not where you are from or what you know, but it is who you worship. It's not where you're from or what you know, but it's who you worship. Now, we see this in this story, and it's an important application for us to pull from it. See, it's not where you're from. It, when you think about these, these wise men, right, they have, they have come here, but they look like they fit. And in many ways, they, they shared similar qualities. They were sinful people, but the Magi don't fit In that they were Gentiles from another country. They practiced a a different religion, and yet they are invited in by Christ. It is a definitive picture for us that Jesus came not as a regional champion, but as the Savior of the world. He came for, for every person. And the ones who were very far away have been brought near. You know, we store these things in the same box, but if we were to accurately you know, represent these for, for what they are, I would have to put it in a a storage bin in northern Siberia and, and fly it in just for the Christmas season. I, I don't recommend that you do that, but that's how far you'd have to get it away from here for this to really make sense. Paint it bright yellow instead of a polished uh, wood. They're, they're that different from the rest in the story. And yet, very intentionally, God brings those who are far away, brings them very close. And it's a reminder for us that it doesn't matter where you're from. And that's a super important point for us to to think about as we gather here today because many of you are here today and you're you're thinking, you know what, Um, because of where I'm from, because of what's gone on in my life, I don't belong around Jesus. I'm here today because somebody invited me, I'm a family member, and I'm enduring this. Or a friend is here, or my friend's going to be on stage playing some music in a minute, and I'm here for that special thing but i i don't belong here i'm not from the same box as the rest of you you've got a a, a st- part of your story that says you know what i've i've done this or that or i've i've experienced this or that or, or or the divorce or the addiction or the background or the religion or what my family thinks or what my family believes or the nation that i'm from all of those things we we can think of all of these excuses for why we don't belong around christ and you know what i I've not experienced some of the things that you have. And if, if I had your story, I don't, I don't know what I would say. But here's the, here's the thing. In the Christmas story, in the nativity, what we see is that those who are far away are brought near regardless of where they're from. And we see in this story that the hope that Jesus is for each of us in this room regardless of our story. And so whatever excuse you might give, the Magi had a great one. And yet Jesus intentionally brought them here, and I believe that Jesus is intentionally inviting you to worship him this year as well. A second application from this is for those of us who who do feel like we're part of the box and have been around the church for a while. But let me ask you, have you ever not shared your faith with somebody because you feel like they're just too far out? Yeah, I might be able to share my faith with somebody who feels like me, looks like me, talks like me, whatever, but I don't know about that person because of where they're from or what they believe or language gap or whatever, and we're were tempted to to stay away. I mean, this is one of the obstacles to reaching out to those in the international community and our community. It's one of the obstacles to taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, we think, I don't know how that could fit together, how that could work. We, we think of excuses as to why we can't share our faith with others. But here's the thing, friends. In the Christmas story, we're reminded that those who are far away, God is in the work of intentionally bringing them near. And right now in this room, we have reminders of that. There are people in this room who grew up in different countries we have people in this room who have experienced addiction, who have gone through the sting of divorce, who have gone through so many challenges, who have been part of different religions in their past, but today they're gathered around Christ. We have a reminder that God is in the business of intentionally bringing those who are far away and bringing them near. Let's be bold in proclaiming the gospel as a result. It's not where you're from. It's also not about what you know. It's not about what you know. I mean, we see this clearly with the religious leaders, right? The religious leaders passed their Bible trivia test. They knew it was Micah five two. They could quote it. And yet, what benefit did that have for them? We see Richard Glover say this of it. He says, it is strange how much the scribes knew and what little use they made of it. D.A. Carson, formal knowledge of the Scriptures, Matthew implies, does not itself lead to knowing who Jesus is. Now, make no mistake, Micah 5.2 is helpful. God used it to get the magi, to the manger. But Micah 5.2 alone is not enough. What is our response to God's revelation? What is your response to what you know? You grew up in the church. You memorized verse after verse after verse. That's great. How are you following him? How are you (laughs) leaning into him today? It's not about where you're from. Not just about what you know, but get this, it is about who you worship. And friends, God is taking what we know and he is using it to lead us to worship the one we need to know. You know, for the Magi, it was a star. They were astrologers. They were looking at the stars. So God used what they knew to lead them to him. Now here's the thing, when I didn't know Christ earlier in my life, it was not stars that God used to lead me to him because I did not like science. Um, But it was a golf ball and a tennis ball and a basketball that God used to lead me to himself. And a friendship that developed with a man who spent time with me playing golf and tennis and basketball and pointed me to Christ. God used what I knew to lead me to the one that I needed to know. And my life has been forever changed. What has God used in your life to lead you to a relationship with him? Friends, God is pursuing us, taking those of us who are far away and bringing us near in Christ. Regardless of our background, regardless of where we're from, and regardless of all that we know, he's asking us to trust him based on who he is. And friends, we have a chance to do that this Christmas. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship today. Thank you for the, the power of your word Father, and, and how it records for us uh, this, this beautiful historical story of how you intentionally went out of your way to bring those who were far away in the Magi to the person of Christ in that very first Christmas. Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts today and that you would draw us back to Christ as well that we would worship him. Father, that you would take the things that we know and you would use them to lead us to the one that we need to know. And Father, that we would worship him with all of our hearts today. Thank you that Jesus was born. He was, he was born to identify with us. He was born ultimately to die for us. He was born to reign forever. And Father, we thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.